day and this evening and always. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, during the past holiday season, the value of things we gave and received can vary vastly. And it's not just because of the things that we might have bought online or the things that we might have gotten at the store that can vary in value, vary with their price tag. Maybe we've had it, and I know that I've had it, and my wife have, have had it, has had it as well, where our children have, in the past, because they didn't have any money, uh, and they saw gifts being given, and their hearts went out to everybody. What they wanted to do is they wanted to draw pictures for us, especially as parents, because they just felt like they had to give something. And so they gave of themselves and whatever they knew. And actually, when I think about all the things we get, we've been given, those are some of the things I remember them all, is those things that they gave, not because they had so much monetary value, but because it was given from the hearts of the young. At the same time, you know, you could have during the holidays things that last for an evening, like a box of chocolates that go around and are passed around, or maybe somebody gives some kind of precious commodity, some kind of precious heirloom that is meant to last forever, forever, but certainly from, uh, from year to year and maybe from generation to generation. Yet we're also reminded during this past Christmas holiday, as we have been, that there isn't any precious gift more precious than that of God's Son to His people. And while we may hold many things and many people most precious to us, most dearly, we are no richer than when we've known the precious blood of Jesus Christ as our satisfaction for our sins, our satisfaction before God. And we focus tonight then a little bit on this idea of satisfaction, looking at substitution and the solitary element of Christ's satisfaction for us, the most precious thing. Uh, and we're going to start by looking at the substitutionary nature of that sacrifice. It's something that uh, comes to bear when we think about Christ, as we did this morning, even with our catechism kids. Uh, young people, we're reminded, as we are even in the catechism, about the substitution that the Lord has carried out for us by way of satisfaction, uh, the ways in which he has taken our place. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. This idea of of substitution. The apostle in our passage speaks to us about how we are to live in reverence and obedience and holiness as children of the Heavenly Father because he gained so much, uh, because we've gained so much spiritually. We've been redeemed. We were bought at a price. And of course, Peter speaks those well known words. Uh, to Christians anyway, uh, that it is not with silver or gold or what we might otherwise consider precious to us that we are to live like these ways, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed as a lamb without spot or blemish. That our passage says, in essence, that he was foreordained, 
before creation, and yet he's made manifest, he's put on display, he's revealed in the last days for us. The precious blood, the lamb without blemish, and even implicitly Christ's manifestation for our sake, coming in the flesh. All of those things speak to us in some respect to the substitutionary nature of Christ's satisfaction, which is a most precious substitution. It's that on which we are to dictate our lives. That's when he's talking about the imperative or what he's calling us to do with the Apostle Paul, that is. He's talking to us about being motivated to do those things because of this great substitution, this great precious commodity of Christ's substitution that has satisfied our sin before our God. Now when we think about substitutions, many different things may come to mind for us. And, and those of various degrees in value. Right? You might think athletically, you might think about a player who is substituting for another person. Maybe it's because of injury. Maybe it's because of poor play. Maybe it's to give a, a, a player a breather. Or maybe it's because it might give the team a shot in the arm. Or maybe it's because the game is out of hand and so we, as they say, empty our benches so others might play who otherwise might not. Now, depending on the substitute, the quality of play might go up, it might go down, it might stay the same. When you have access to a sub in other fields of uh, our lives, other spheres of life, uh, we can consider them valuable commodities indeed. Uh, it, it's, it's nice to be able to fall back on somebody in case we might have to go out of town or somebody's on vacation or somebody's sick. You see that in school life so much. Principals are looking around to try to find somebody to substitute uh, for the regular teacher. It can be very precious indeed to, to fill the gap you know, with somebody who can take one's place. Though admittedly, it may not always work out as well as uh, being there yourself or uh, the original person that was there in the first place. Teachers may be glad for a sub, but even a sub knows the challenge of having to take over a class, kind of parachuting in there and not knowing how things were in the past and, and having a hard time even realizing what's going to be coming up in the day, next day or two. It's not always the same as the regular teacher, and the students oftentimes know it. And the same can be true in, in all kinds of vocations where you know, somebody substitutes on a project or with a client or with a particular task. And sometimes it works out well, but sometimes it can be even worse because they just don't have that same experience or they don't know the situation as well. But when we talk about Christ as our substitute, we don't talk in any kind of lesser fashion whatsoever. We have here in a person who is unquestionably more valuable than we, more valuable than anybody or anything else. And the reason for that is can be explained in, in a number of ways, but, but however it is explained, Christ and his substitution come across as one where we could never purchase it. One that is beyond cost. 
one that makes all other things a loss in comparison. Even as Philippians would say, as garbage, as refuge, or refuse. So great is this substitution. And such is to be our confession. Nothing more precious than that. If, if, if it's not, and we talked, of course, about that this morning too, right? That, then, then we have all our priorities mixed up. Not just a few. Our life is completely upside down. It's out of order. And when our life is out of order, regarding priorities and what's most important and what's most valuable to us, it is inevitably going to impact the way that we live. And that's what the Apostle, of course, is speaking of as well. And the attitude that we're going to take towards everything. Crises, our work, our family, our sense of contentment, our neighbors, our friends, the very way that we conduct ourselves. And the apostle realizes that. He says, here's how you ought to live. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, be prepared to serve the Lord. Literally, to have your loins girded, right? That whole idea of, of getting yourself ready to go. Be ready to serve. Kind of like the, uh, the Israelites who had to get ready to leave Egypt and, and head to Canaan, right? They had to be ready. They had to have their loins girded. They, they couldn't be uh, tangled up in their clothes. They had to be ready to serve the Lord and to do so with sobriety and alertness and self-control and filled with hope and to be obedient and holy and, and reverent of God. And why? He says, because you know what's fresh, most precious in your life. That's why. Because you know what is most precious in life, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And that's true for us all. Right? Every one of us has to come to grips with that. Every one of us, if we're being honest with each other, knows that where our treasure is and what our treasure is, that's where our heart is. If anything is more precious to us, than the precious blood of Christ, which buys us out of futility and emptiness and sin and irreverence, well, then we're still living in an empty, futile, sinful, irreverent way, aren't we? Because that's what the passage tells us, right? He, he took you out of that. That's what his precious blood does. We've failed otherwise to see what's most precious and what's most precious to know. And that's the redemption from sin and the redemption from a futile life and a life ransomed by the blood of Christ and belonging to Christ. Every one of us has to come to grips with what it is that's most precious to us, what it is that's driving our living. And we're either being driven by something that's substandard to Christ or we're being driven by Christ. And, and that's how we need to remember 
ourselves and, and that's how we that's the spirit in which we need to heed this call to live in holiness for the Holy Father in heaven, conform to God and not to the ignorance of the past anymore. You know, whenever we sin, we're we're misplacing our priorities, aren't we? And making sin more precious to us than than the one who paid the price for it. And how foolish we can be when we do that with our mouths, with our attitudes, with our actions. How, how thankful we can be, though, when with a penitent heart we're able to see that foolishness, we're able to admit to those things, we're able to seek pardon for them, and having found them, having found that pardon, to, to seek all the more to prize the, the blood of Christ and, and His substitution for us, to embrace it, to to realize what a precious commodity his blood truly is. And what makes that substitution of Christ so precious is, is both its perfect love to God and his perfect love for us. Fulfilling the greatest commandment and the second like unto it. Christ takes our place to be what we would not and could not, right, be towards God. And where we have failed toward God and neighbor for that matter, Christ prevails as that perfect Passover lamb. That one without spot. Where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. He took Adam's place to be the perfect one that Adam was not. And at the same time, it, it was a most perfect and gracious love and substitution because while he actively, obediently, perfectly uh, carried this all out, he also passively obeyed fully as the perfect sacrificial lamb, bearing what was required by God, which would otherwise have been for us to bear eternally. And that's the justice again and that mercy of God coming together, kissing each other, as it were, in Christ, of which Article 20 speaks. Many speak of, of being believers in God. But true believers in God confess that Christ became the substitutionary sacrifice that they needed so they no longer needed to suffer the wrath of God. He's the perfect, perfect sacrificial lamb. Now sure, when you can get a sub for your work, when you get a substitute for your work or for your team, that can be something that is very precious, very helpful, very useful. But the value of this substitute goes beyond tracing out. Because here's the one who Scripture in our confession mentions is the one who takes our place as the righteous for the unrighteous. The one who showed his love to such an extent that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're thankful for a babysitter who can substitute for us for a few hours. Or when somebody says, hey, let me do that for you, saying, it's not a problem, it's no big deal, let me take your place. On the other hand, we know of people who have taken our place for various things that we owe a great deal, and it's more than just something trivial. And we remember that for a long time, maybe throughout our lives. But there's nothing about this substitution that's trivial. Nothing about this substitute uh, that can compare with any other substitute, whether 
you've had to substitute or somebody else has had to substitute. Because this substitute makes the life and death difference for our lives. Because of where we were heading and where we were standing with God. Because of what he's done to transform that so that we don't have to be thinking that we're heading to hell anymore, but that we're heading to heaven. We're heading to the new heavens and the new earth because we've become new creatures and we are set free and we are no longer enslaved and, and we're no longer condemned and we're right with God. Nothing can bring reconciliation like that. Nothing else can bring redemption, justification. Nothing else can pay the ransom. And you can't go to the store for it. Nor can you find a, a suitable substitute for him. We needed that substitution. We needed to be substituted because we couldn't provide what this spotless lamb could provide. And if he did not take our place with the curse of the cross, that curse would still be on us and we'd still be at odds with God and his wrath would still be upon us and life would be a misery. Life's hard enough. And it's even worse when we're at odds with God. But yeah, his wrath wouldn't be on us anymore. And that's presuming, of course, that people value the substitute above all in faith. Not everybody does. And you never know. There may be some here today who might or who may not be with us today that simply don't appreciate that substitution. It's not what they value the most. That's dangerous. Because they value other things a whole lot more. That's really dangerous. And it's an empty lie. You know, there may be those here today that would consider many different things to be more precious to them than to know that substitution, or people who aren't here, who ought to be. You know, friends, family, money, health, home. And, and all those things are valuable. Don't get me wrong, but, the, but they're not to be valued more than the precious blood of Christ, are they? And his substitution for us. You and I might not be the richest people around materially, but that doesn't matter. If you can say that Christ substituted for you with his precious blood, then you're richer than many a lottery winner and many a millionaire or billionaire who have no idea of what it really means to be wealthy. Who have no idea about the precious satisfaction that Jesus Christ provides for our sins. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to own. That's what we need to embrace. That satisfaction substitutionary, but it's also solitary. Often, though not always, the rarity of an item appreciates the value of an item. You know, you could see a thousand copies of a painter's portrait, and it will have that little number at the bottom or whatever. You say, oh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty nice. You got a print of the original. But we know that those thousand copies of the original aren't worth as much as the rarity of the original. The rarity of the one item. 
confession tells us that Christ is our only high priest, our only high priest, the only true one. And all the others were, were typical, and they were shadows of his reality. They couldn't forgive. They couldn't offer the, the sacrificial effectiveness that needed to be offered. They, they couldn't be the sacrifice. A multitude of Levitical priests came and went, and none of them could provide the sacrifice after the what's mentioned in our confession, and that comes up to us in, in Hebrews, about the order of Melchizedek, or be the priest after the order of Melchizedek. None of them were righteous like that, none of them were everlasting like that, and none of them were confirmed to be priests forever like that. And that all speaks to the, the rarity, the uniqueness, and the solitary nature of Christ's priesthood and satisfaction. His priesthood and sacrifice stands the test of time. Not like anything that we might have received for Christmas. None other is needed than this one, nor is any other to be found. And that's the kicker, though, isn't it? In sin and unbelief, we think our satisfaction and peace somewhere else can be found when our faith isn't found here, plain and simple. But there isn't anywhere else to go. It's like when Jesus would say to all the, and we'll, I think we cover that the next time we look at John 6 in the morning, these people all leave Jesus, and he says to the disciples, he says, so what about you? Are you going to leave too? And they said, well, how can we do that? You have the words, where else are we to go? You have the words of eternal life. He does what none other could do, nor would do. That's the only true perfect lamb. Nobody else could go where he goes. Jesus would say to, to those with whom he had dialogue, where I go, you cannot come. And Peter would say, well, I'll die for you, Jesus, not realizing that it was Christ that would have to die for him and alone. Nobody else could go where Christ went, to the cross of redemption, that is. But that was so that all who call on him in faith could go in glory to where Christ is now at God's right hand. Isn't that a blessed thought? We couldn't go to the cross and fix ourselves. Only Jesus could do that. But when he went to be exalted, he went to prepare a place for us as that one who is satisfied and substituted, as only he could. We could bypass the cross of redemption and we could take on exaltation through him. Even in our sin and certainty and, um, and, and certainly in unbelief, we would like to act as if there are other jewels that match the splendor of this one who alone Pays the price of sin. Others and other things that could provide such a lasting treasure. And of course, we saw that again this morning, right? Everything else leads in death, but when you partake of Christ, you live. We're tempted to think we can buy it, experience it, find it in a disobedient and an irreverent lifestyle, only to come up empty. Tempted to be envious of a world that seems to have everything or 
or, or others down the street or others around the corner and failing to see or to remember that what we have is most precious of all when we've known Christ as our satisfaction. We fail to see the one as most precious to us as the one that Peter would say later in this letter was most precious to God. So perhaps for you right now, you might find yourself comparing yourself to others who may have been, who may have more than you materially, let's say. Or you're just tempted some ways to just envy somebody else in some other manner. Most of us can put ourselves in that category that we're not, we don't have more than most people do materially. But it's good at times like that to be reminded by truths like this. That the enviable position is not you looking at them if you're a believer. It's them looking at you. Because you have found the precious satisfaction that Jesus alone could provide you. As he takes your place. So you can be at peace with God. And you can live the kind of life that isn't empty, that isn't futile, that isn't irreverent, that isn't disobedient. You can live a life that's precious in His sight because you know the precious blood of Christ for your life. That's an enviable life. Again, you know, when we get up in the morning to be able to see ourselves in that light, we don't have to envy everybody else. We live an enviable life when we know that the precious blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for us. And we could live not an empty life, but a full one. Amen.